Health Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Contrahera, licensed professional counselor. And I have here with me today, Alex Castro-Croy, licensed professional counselor and licensed addiction counselor. He owns Life Recovery Centers as well as Transcending Consulting Group. Um, And thank you for coming on today. And I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor and privilege to be able to chit chat with you and talk a lot, a little bit about what we do and how um, we love to help people, especially eliminate eliminating barriers to all treatment, mental and substance use. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll just kind of get started. What led you to want to work with this population and what keeps you inspired to continue working with this population? My actually, my induction with uh, therapy actually started as a probation officer. I was the drug court probation officer um, in Denver Juvenile Court. I did that for um, around ten years, and I was the drug court probation officer. And I had uh, my undergrad was in human services um, with an emphasis on mental health and addiction. And when I got the job as a drug court probation officer, I realized a lot of my trainings that I would go to was trauma-informed, trauma-informed care, working with uh, um, um, trauma-based interventions and whatnot. And I realized that I, uh, my success rate increased significantly based on the therapeutic or the interventions that I put in place. And um, I started realizing the more I validated and held space for my clients to process a lot of their trauma, um, even though I was a probation officer, I was able to get to a lot of the core issues and then refer them to the appropriate resources, the more success they were having, um, the, the faster they got off of the substances. And after a while, um, I decided to jump the fence and leave criminal justice, get my master's in counseling. And here we are. I opened up my treatment agencies, and now we work with a lot of clients who have trauma and addiction issues at life recovery centers. And we come, uh, we approach it from a depth uh, union. We have a depth uh, psychological union approach to uh, addiction treatment, which has been uh, we, it's proven to be successful with the clients. Yeah, I'd love for you to maybe share a little bit more about your approach. I'm not very yes. familiar with it, so I imagine maybe some of the Audience is not super familiar, so I'd love to learn more about that. Definitely. So, um, I, uh, so to, you know, one of the things we talk about with uh, trauma and addiction, a lot of the clients are so used to hearing, so what's their diagnosis? What were they diagnosed with? What's your diagnosis? What medication are you on? So, you know, they've been, they've been, there's the stigma connected to diagnosis and there's a stigma connected to trauma, especially that word in Spanish or in English. When they hear the word trauma, it's like, okay, here you go. You're going to find out what's wrong with me. And so um, to address that or to reframe that, I approach trauma with the Greek definition. What's the Greek definition of trauma? It's wounding. And I use this acronym that um, has come out, and and I use it a lot, especially from um, a depth perspective coming from James Hollis, James Hillman, when we look at physical, emotional, relational mental and spiritual, I created the the acronym of PERMS. We're going to look at the, we're going to do a PERMS inventory and how you've been wounded in your five domains, physically with child abuse, um, sexual abuse, emotionally, um, what were the messages that you received? You're not good enough. You're not worth it. And how did that impact you emotionally? We talk about um, relationally, 
based on the physical and the emotional abuse or neglect that you received, how does that relate to the relationship that you have with yourself? You know, do you hate yourself? A lot of self-loathing. What is the negative self-talk that you have about yourself? When you look in the mirror, what do you tell yourself about you? Um, and then because of that relationship, whether it's healthy or unhealthy with yourself, it's going to play out on how you relate to other people. Because I can only give what I have. If I have anger and resentment, guess what I'm going to offer you? Anger and resentment. If I have insecurity, self-loathing, guess what I'm going to give you? Be hypercritical of you, and I'm going to be very insecure in our relationship. Then we go into the M, mental. How have these messages, these interactions from, you know, my childhood or the messages that I downloaded and integrated part of myself, how is that affecting me mentally? Am I moody? Am I unstable? Am I full of anxiety? Um, do I, when I show up, am I actually present or do I dissociate or disassociate? And understanding how that plays a role based on uh, my mental health. And then the last piece, um, which I think is, is one that we tend to forget, is spirituality. You know, what gives me meaning and purpose? Some, you know, some choose and lean on uh, faith and religion. Um, for others, it's what gives me what lights my torch, my passion, my essence. And how was that impacted based on the wounding within these five domains? And so when we have, um, when we sit with a client, we tend with a client, we do that inventory with them and we allow them to explore their wounding within their five domains. And then um, they're able to see, this is why I drink. This is why I cut. This is why I'm addicted to alcohol and to these substances. Um, the, and we realize that the substance is a symptom of the core issue. And so then we go into um, the trauma uh, intervention, um, whether it be somatic, whether it be through EMDR, whether it be to DBT, but we have that approach as core and clients are able to not look at it from a, stig a, a stigmatizing way, but more of a soulful approach to healing. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that approach and recognizing that substance use is a, a symptom rather than needing to be like the primary, like, quote unquote, problem that a person has. Right. Usually, I would imagine the statistics kind of show that someone just one day doesn't start using substances and they've had right. nothing, no problems that have ever existed in them um, prior to that day. Correct. And, you know, one of the things I, one of the approaches and mentors that I absolutely love is Dr. Gabor Mate. And he says, uh, we have to look at addiction as what hurts so much that needs to be numbed? What hurts so much that has to take away the pain? And so when we look at that from that lens and that perspective, the client feels empowered to actually look in and tend to their wounds. And so um, we reframe psychotherapy. Um, you know, when we think, uh, and in my office, I have, uh, I, I have this definition of the Greek definition of trauma is wound and the Greek definition of psyche is soul. And so when we talk about psychotherapy, it's soul tending, soul care. And so when we come together, we're tending to soul. We're whole, we, this is an interaction that you and I are having, but we're tending to soul. So when you talk about soul, be mindful of the space we're coming into. And do you want to be authentic and genuine when you show up to tend to your soul? 
Mm-hmm. And that changes completely the approach was like, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to deny. I'm going to, I'm just going to go in and do the work. And that, and you see this barriers just drop significantly because of that approach, both with men, women, and teenagers as well. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine having a more like a uh, compassionate healing mindset rather than a punitive uh, shaming process really allows a lot of people to let their walls down and really be open to the process of uh, recovery and healing. Correct. Yeah, because they see that I'm not being shamed, guilt, blamed, but instead I'm being seen, I'm being heard, I'm being validated, and I get to show up, be authentic, be raw, and know that it's safe. Yeah. It's safe. Yeah, and I think they, that's what most people they, need. Yeah, yeah. Sure. and and you know, yes, there are probation requirements. Yes, there's probably there are social services requirements, parenting requirements. But at the end of the day, you get to tend to yourself, to your wounds, to your what, what's challenging you, and understand um, the why behind the use, or at least start exploring it. I'm curious, what are some resources that you like to tie in uh, with the care that you provide the people that come to you? Do you often refer them out or do you have a lot of things in house that they do that is just outside of individual counseling? Uh, for the clients that come and work with me, I'm very mindful of what's their, um, again, we talk about perms and where, what is it that they lean on? I use the term uh, soul tribe. Who's your soul tribe? You know, who are the people outside of counseling that you lean on to be authentic, to be honest, to be truthful with you? It can be a church organization. It can be a support group. It can be a community of women, family, you name it. And so when uh, they're able to identify, I like a fellowship. I like building community. Do you know where to go? No, I really don't know where to go to to deal with, you know, recovery, but that it's not um, faith-based or that it's not religious-based. Okay, well, do you like to work out? Yes. So then I refer them to, you know, uh, Phoenix Multisport. I refer them to different um, uh, recovery dharma. Whatever the client um, sees as uh, yoga, um, you know, spiritual yoga, whatever they need in order for them to achieve or to grow or evolve in that area as a strength and resource from within, we will offer it. And even if we don't know, communicating with um, resources in the community, liaisons in the community, uh, we are very close with Medicaid. Contact a case manager and say, hey, I need a resource for this individual in the community around children. Where can I refer them? In Spanish, in English, in this neighborhood. And they're able to come back with us. So I'm huge about networking and seeing what's out in the community both um, with, you know, education, uh, resource, Mikasa Resource Center, um, mental health services, whether it be um, for Native Americans or Latinos, for immigrants, for Asians, be able, you know, Asian community, be able to connect them accordingly with the resources that they have and diversify as well, knowing that they have a holistic approach. And if I don't know, figure it out, consult, network, reach mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So I use a lot of community-based organizations, a lot of nonprofits, um, a lot of uh, uh, community health centers, um, schools. I collaborate a lot with schools. I collaborate a lot with social services and be able to connect with them, uh, connect them to the appropriate services based on their needs. 
Yeah. I think it's really important that all providers and all clients that come and see providers like understand that recovering and healing from your wounds takes more than just like one hour a week of talking to your therapist. It really is about changing and evolving your, your whole life and the way that you interact and who you're interacting with. Um, Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, and be able to really listen and see um, when the client is talking about their wants and their needs and their desires and be able to find those resources for them. I'll give you an example. I had a client who told me, you know, I want to, he was struggling a lot with um, his, he grew up in a family where everything's rational, rational, rational. If it doesn't make sense, don't process it. So he's heady, super heady. And he said, I want to do things where I can, I don't have to think about it. I just need to, I, I could just go and go with the flow. And I realized that within the second, the third session that I started working with him, that he was really filtering what he was talking about. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to really think about how I'm going to say this to you because I, I was noticing that he was real heady. And I said, hey, we're going to do something different today. I said, um, obviously I'm, I'm doing a, personification of emotions and what I was like, I want you to, um, uh, pick, I have a uh, markers, right? And I said, I want you to pick a marker, a color marker that represents how you feel today. I'm going to have to really think, no, don't think about it. Just which one grabs your attention and, and, and top the three top colors. Mind you, he's a mid thirties man. And he picked up, he picked three colors. He goes, these three bright colors. I'm going to pick bright colors. And he said, and I'm going to specifically bring the purple too. Okay, and so write the, the the word or the emotion that fee, that that connects or resonates with the color. It goes red, happy, yellow, um, uh, joy, and then purple. He said bruise, bruise. This is the color of bruises. And I said bruise, interesting. And I said, where do you feel that bruise? And he goes right here, right here. Let's just sit with it for a minute. And as I'm having this conversation, he's looking at the, 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 the board with the color and he's looking and I'm like, just be mindful of where you hold it. Hardly any conversation, he starts emoting. He starts emoting. Because he was able to allow himself in that moment, be present right here, right now, this color. This, this this represents what? Bruise represents where I have it. Just sit with it. Don't think about it. Just sit with it. And let's sit with it. Just let's be, not do. You're used to doing, doing, doing and not being, being, being. And he walked away that day from that statement. I told him, we are human beings, not human doers. Remember that and be with yourself. And so these types of interventions, very simple, invites individuals to really look at, the, at themselves because of this. He was doing a lot of um, painting with his wife. I'm taking her out, you know, we have that, that sip and paint. And he's like, I'm doing so much more um, painting and I bought canvases. And I said, what was it about the art that what, that helped? And he goes, I don't need to think about it. I just could just paint. And if I mess up, it is what it is. That's the way it was supposed to turn out. So he gave himself permission to be and not have to stay up here and be heady. Yeah. So it's a matter of just listening. Yeah. I think it's so interesting how our culture has somehow moved towards this doing 
culture with everything, right? Like I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to think through this. I need to think through that. And we kind of turn off this part of us that is supposed to just practice like being. And it's interesting that I even just use the word practice <laughs> being, right? Like right. Right. <laughs> I imagine years ago, um, you know, being was just like a part of what you did during the day rather than needing to carve out time to just be. Right. Right. And we we have this. Um, and it's a common theme with everyone. We uh, we have to do do do. You know, um, our, our colleague Carl Crosswhite did the 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 uh, the sickness of busyness. We're so busy, busy, busy that we forget to just be, sit with ourselves. You know, there's a difference between restore and restoration. What does restoration look like? Define that. And people can't. They can't because they think if I sleep my six hours, I'm fine. No. What does it mean to actually? Um, disconnect to reconnect, to fill up, and uh-huh. instead of just going, going, and and that's correct. You know, I um I just came back from Europe. I, I went to a, a training uh, at the Union Institute in Zurich, and in Europe, I keep forgetting that they are very comfortable with waiting for food. They're very, it's not go in, order, get your food again. And, and so as I'm sitting there with my husband and we're having dinner, I'm like, oh, I got to forget. I forget we're in Europe. It's not rushed. It's the t- They actually cook your food thoroughly at the moment that you order. And so we're sitting there. And as I'm sitting there, I was like, wow, this is very nice. We actually can have a nice conversation. You don't have to feel rushed. And I think COVID made things worse. Because excuse me, Mr. and Miss, we only have 60 minutes for table, for sitting. So you need to hurry up and eat and move. Because we And, and it's now it's gotten a little worse. And as I was sitting there and I sat with my, my husband, we sat for a good two hours and had dinner for two hours. Wow. He's like, how 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 is this for you? And I was like, I love it. <laughs> I can actually sit with you and not worry about hurry up, clean the table. I don't feel rushed. You know how they pre-bust your table and mm-hmm. no, no, please feel, feel, do you want a cup of coffee? As a matter of fact, yes, I'll have a cup of coffee. And, and he's like, you know, we've been here for almost an hour. We're going on 90 minutes. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, Oh, don't worry about it. And I'm like, don't worry about it. How about that? Don't worry about spend being yourself and spending time with your loved ones. What a concept, right? Yeah. Don't worry about it. Enjoy. No, we're always got to be, got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. Got to be yeah. here, got to be here, got to be here. So, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate because that's part of our mental health. That's part of the issue that we have, that this this culture of busyness has um, has leaned us into the do, do, do and not be, be, be. Yeah. Which I imagine lends itself to all of these symptomatic behaviors kind of popping up, right? Like, oh, I'm so stressed out all the time because I have to rush everywhere. I'm going to fall into these behaviors that are not really serving me as a way to escape. Correct. Correct. Or I'm constantly stressed. I'm disappointing people because I didn't do. I wasn't able to be there. I wasn't able to fulfill their requirements. And, you know, disappointment's part of life. It's, we just got to accept it for what it is. The issue is what are you doing with that disappointment? Are you integrating, downloading, and self-loathing, beating yourself up because you're not busy enough or you're not fulfilling the um, busy schedule that you have? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think we all could learn from taking a little less, um, a little thing, a little bit more things off of our to do list and spend more time being for sure. Yeah, definitely. And going back to the clients, you start realizing this is this is part of, like you said, the stressors of this is why I drink because I can't deescalate, I can't calm down, I can't disconnect. And so when I drink and use um, that's or I use these substances, I I get that relief. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yeah. So. And it's so integrated in our culture, right? Like, oh, you're stressed out, have a beer. Oh, you're you're had a long day at work, like have a sip of wine, right? And it's just, it's almost like encouraged as a way to like disconnect. But really what we, like you said, we need to do is like reconnect with ourselves. Correct. Correct. Definitely. Um, so I was hoping that you can maybe share where you think the your the field of mental health and substance abuse and recovery is headed, or where do you at least hope that it's headed? I think it's you know what with COVID, I'm seeing much more soulful approaches. Death has knocked on our cultures on our world door. Grief and loss has knock down the barrier of it's here. We've lost a lot of people. We've lost jobs. We've, I mean, grief and loss has pretty much said, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Deal with me, accept me. And so it's requiring us to, um, have, I'd like to say transmutation of soul. It is requiring us to really look at inside our relationship with grief from a soulful perspective. We have to make room for it. We have to lean into the discomfort. We have to have discussions of what it feels like to lose our sense of normalcy. This is not normal anymore. This is our new normal. Well, well, it is normal. What was normal? That what was is no longer here. How do you feel about that? And having to deal with literal death of people, literal death of dreams, death of, uh, you know, what I expect, expectations, careers, you start realizing it's challenging us to be more in touch with who we are, where we're at, where we were, where we're at, and where we want to be. And so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see that there's this shift, very discomforting shift of um, bringing it back to soul. Bringing it back to, we have to look at, you know, when we think about the mental health crisis that we're seeing, we realize, oh my goodness, we don't have enough clinicians. We've known this for a minute, but now that COVID has hit, it's on the forefront now because everybody's having anxiety. Everybody's having stress. Everybody's having to sit with these discomforting emotions that have always been there. Mm-hmm. And now they have to learn how to lean into it and process it. And so my my hope is that we are going we're coming back to soul. We are coming back to authentic, real emotions. And yes, it's showing up with a lot of addiction because with this discomfort comes, you know, self-soothing behaviors, not necessarily adaptive, maladaptive. And so you see a lot of increase of substance use. Well, because this is so discomforting and they, I don't know what I don't know. If I don't know how to sit with this discomfort, I'm going to use some external resource to help me numb the pain, numb the discomfort, or at least avoid it temporarily. But I think it's coming back. And my hope is that um, as clinicians, we bring it back to that soulful place. Yes, with all these interventions that exist out there, um, it's a great, um, a great intervention, but we have to also remember that um, 
the intervention is nothing without the human. The intervention cannot function without the human. And so when we think about um, the intervention, we also have to include the human in their experience and that that comes to that soulful subjective perspective, that soulful experience. Yeah. So that's my, my hope and dream. Yeah. Have you seen an increase in, in clients in your practice? I know it seems like we just always have people calling like constantly, like ringing and then we have a wait list, waiting list. I can't talk a waiting list. And then it's like, oh, I don't have anyone to even refer you to. And I've been finding it on myself, at least feeling like stressed out about trying to help everybody. Um, it could just because there is such a, a demand. There is a huge demand, um, especially around, you know, the, the around juveniles, a lot of mental health around juveniles having, you know, having to be in school, you know, disconnect from socializing sports for, for a, about a year and then having to reintegrate and having to struggle the addiction to electronics now everybody's addicted to electronics and having, you know, having to have social interactions is making it very difficult, um, anxious, a lot of, um, uh, you know, I don't know what to expect. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? How many people are going to be there? Do they have their vaccinations? Do they not have their vaccinations? Are they, are they over COVID? Do they have COVID? Did they get COVID? You name it. It's like this level of anxiety, um, anticipatory anxiety and fear-based anxiety. You start realizing it's 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 here it's mm-hmm. it and if it wasn't um allowed to be spoken before now people are speaking about it and now they're really feeling it and i think that's what's increased significantly right now with all the um, and whether it be trauma addiction um uh uh abuse, you name it, domestic violence, child abuse, neglect, you're starting to see these are increasing significantly because people are starting to really be in touch with this, um, this part of themselves that they were not being, they, they do not know how to sit with. And so, yeah, I think um, it's increased significantly, but we have to be very mindful of how we're, we're using our resources and our intervention to tend to them, tend to the individuals um, and meet their needs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I hope that there's more funding that comes to um, mental health too, and more people come into the field that are excited and um, invested in and in helping people because it definitely sometimes feels like there's just not enough of us to go around to <laughs> help right. people get in touch with their um, selves and kind of manage some of their mental health crises that they're going through. Right, right. And, 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 you know, I start to, you know, the other, the other piece too, is you said it, this, this field of, um, having to tend and, and, um, holding space for individual. One of the biggest challenges we're having, it's like you said, is the reimbursements. One of the, like seeing how, how are we getting reimbursed, how we're getting paid there's a high demand, but it's, is the demand equitable to the reimbursement? And that's, I think that's, what's, um, having people be at, at edge at times as well. So, yeah, I hope that the whole culture as a whole, like wants to invest more in mental health. Right. Like I sometimes hear people say like, Oh, I don't have the money to come to counseling like every week, but then they're going on these like grand vacations or they're doing other things with their money. And I'm like, Okay, but the value that you could get from coming to therapy is probably greater than you're putting on it. Um, Correct. And I mean, I run an insurance-based practice primarily, but even people like 
putting out their copays sometimes seems like a, a struggle. So not only does the people up top need to value therapy, but also the clients coming in um, value right. the progress and the healing that could occur um, if they you know, one of their time. <laughs> one of the things I use to reframe was like, well, I don't have the money to spend on therapy. I was like, that's the key word there. The way you're looking at therapy, it's not spend, it's invest. Think about it. Investment. How are you investing in yourself, investing in your mental health, investing in your emotional health? Do you, well, for example, when you think about your house, how do you invest in your house? New fireplace, new windows. Every so often I get, you know, every, you know, house cleaning, you invest in it, right? So how do you invest in you? I go to the gym, mm-hmm. correct? So that's physical. How do you invest emotionally with my family? Right. How do you invest mentally? Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And, then, and it, so it's the reframing. It's being able to reframe, help them reframe. Are you worth it? Are you worth it? Yeah. I am worth mm-hmm. it. Okay. Are you worth it? And so, and then let's be realistic. What's feasible? What's feasible for you as well? Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's insurance or, or self-pay, what's feasible? If I'm not the right therapist, let's look for the right therapist for you um, and be able to connect them to those resources. You know, um, one of the things that I always say is um, sometimes clients are not good fits for clinicians and clinicians are not good fit for clients. And that's okay. But be able to provide those resources appropriate for the client to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And know who they are and where they're at. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a large network of, of providers that can be utilized. I sometimes hear clients say, oh, I've called around to like, you know, 15 people and you're the first person that answers my phone. I'm like, well, it's probably because they're overwhelmed and try not to, <laughs> to take it as a personal slight to you. And even just like reframing that like desperation that sometimes people call with and like, no one wants to help me. Like, no one cares. Like, that's... I see where you're coming from and how it could feel like that. And like, there is a community of people who have invested their, their life and their own dollars to learning how to support you and and help you in your healing process. So let's not like jump to conclusions and there are people and resources here Mm -hmm. to support Mm -hmm. you and your growth. Correct. And it's a matter of, and you know, it's a matter of connecting them and letting them know here it is. Now you get to feel empowered to move forward and figure it out, you know, or connect or be able to connect with those therapists, those individuals, you know, but let them know we are always here to support you. Even if, you know, in our agency, we have case managers. If we, if I'm not available, you can always call back and our case managers can help you navigate that referral, navigate what other resources and in Spanish and English if you need it. So we will be able to give you that additional support. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. And you, because you're worth it and constantly drill that messaging with the clients. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> let's see. The, I guess the last real thing I wanted to ask you is about how do you think culture as a whole maybe views are evolving and how we can reach and educate more people about the importance of treating substance abuse or other mental health issues um, 
in a way that's going to be progressive and move move the needle further along to everyone investing in mental health. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's very unfortunate right now culturally what's going on with fentanyl. Fentanyl has really grabbed everybody's attention. I can tell you right now, unfortunately and sadly, I've had in the last year five youth die of um, fentanyl overdose. Um, these are kids under 17. These were not, uh, maybe one of them out of the, I'd say one out of the five that I work with was uh, have struggling with opioid use. The rest of them, their drugs were laced. Their drugs were laced with fentanyl, and they were not aware that their drugs were laced with fentanyl. And so um, there is this huge rise of fentanyl in our community, in our culture now. And there's, you know, where before you would overdose, now it's killing it's not, it's not even overdosing anymore. It's now you had fentanyl and it killed you. And so this is a crisis, a horrible crisis that has put us, has put um, opioid use uh, epidemic on the forefront and with our youth specifically because it's killing our youth. Um, unfortunately, there's very limited resources available. And so I think right now there's this huge push for uh, substance abuse um, interventions, Narcan, educating the community of if you do have a family member who is using substances and they don't know what's in their in their substance and they take um, uh, fentanyl, these are the symptoms. This is what it looks like. And just educating the community. I, it's very scary because it's now killing. We are now, you know, before it's not even overdose anymore. It's now it's killing our kids. It's killing people. And I think there's this huge wave of we need to do something about it because it's being prescribed, it's being abused, and it's having a ripple effect to kids now, children and kids. And it's being laced. Meth is being laced, cocaine is being laced, marijuana is being laced with fentanyl because of the, the uh, addictive component to it. And it's, it's killing people. And I think there's a shift now. Um, it's no longer uh, a concern, but now it's really in the forefront. It's killing individuals and people and we're seeing we're going to be hearing a lot more um in the news and in, in the community education on opioid use and it's just the mixture of substances because like i said it's no longer just overdosing it's now killing our children unfortunately yeah i i imagine just five people in your practice like and what that would look like on a nationwide scale of people you right. know dying of fentanyl it seems very terrifying to think about. Right, right. But we need, we absolutely need to know what this is looking like because it's going to middle schools now. We have eighth graders using, you know, as, uh, our, their, their marijuana, their substances are being laced with fentanyl. And so, you know, when you have it, the age is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, younger, younger, younger. The addictive, the addiction is going to be, they're going to be exposed to addiction at a very younger age. And so then we need to know what this is going to look like. So there's going to definitely be a huge wave of education coming through. I mean, it's already out there, but we're going to start seeing it more in the news media, more culturally, how we need to pay attention to these red flags, especially with the substance. Yeah. is I'm curious if you're aware of like what's going on in schools as far as like education. Is that being something that is... I don't know, abundant or do we need to? I know. 
I know a lot of schools are providing in-school education, especially around the kids that have, um, I know in the Denver metro area, a lot of schools have in-school uh, nurses and in-school programs where they have interventions. When kids are caught with substances, they put interventions in place to prevent um, in order for them to come back into school. Um, however, uh, I think we need to educate the parents. We need to educate the parents of what this looks like and what are the symptoms and what is it, what does it look like in the home in regards to behaviors, withdrawals, um, and how they're using it, whether they're snorting it, whether they're ingesting it through their mouth, you know, uh, crushing pills. What does this look like? Um, and so what they need to be aware of and mindful. So, yeah, the schools have it. Um, obviously, all the community resource centers um, have a lot of the information, and you're going to start seeing a lot more increase of harm reduction, meaning if you are going to use what does Norcan look like, um, using Norcan for individuals who have ingested fentanyl, um, and there's going to be much more community uh, outreach, community education to, for parents. If you think your kid is using um, uh, using uh, substances and what how, how to use Nor Norcan in the home if if you fear that this is what they're using or you you know you find your kid passed out or whatnot what does that look like you're going to start seeing more of that in the community well that's hopeful hopefully we can have enough narcan to go around too i imagine that right. might be a, a limiting factor in some of these cases yeah. is having that accessible. definitely definitely yeah and so hopefully we'll, we'll see we'll see more come out. Like I said, I've already seen a couple news in the news. I've seen a couple stories around, especially in Commerce City. We've had some of uh, the three kids who died um, over narc um, over uh, fentanyl. Um, I mean, just recently in the Denver metro area, this, this is the ongoing drug with kids and with adults. Um, and so we are going to be hearing more and more of that in the community. So, and I think the, as clinicians, we need to be mindful of what's happening in our community so that we can be able to um, be educated and, and, and know what resources are out there for the families. Yeah. Are you, I guess, are you aware of any resources that you can share with our listeners of maybe where they can at least go and read some information? Yes. So I know um, Resolve Youth Treatment Center with um, Riley Cochran, he has, he started a podcast for parents who have kids who have substance use and they want to know um, what is, you know, what are some of the symptomology around behaviors? What are some of the things you need to be mindful of? He, um, the founder, He's definitely somebody that I would recommend, especially in the community with parenting. He provides, a, it's called the Guardian's Guide. Um, the Guardian's Guide Parent Coaching for Kids. Uh, if you have kids who are um, impacted with substance use, he is a great resource. Um, he's a great colleague, good friend, and he works very closely with parents and with juveniles who are involved with substance use. Um, he also works with kids who are uh, involved in the judicial system, um, but he also has started this huge uh and I support him 100% a movement for parent coaching. We need to give more resources to parents. And so if you guys Google the, uh, the Guardian's Guide with Riley, he constantly, I believe every week he's going to give different um, techniques, resources for parents within the community to be able to use and uh, take advantage of as they're working with their kid alongside their kid as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Definitely.
Yeah. So where can people find you and reach out to you if they'd like to work with you or learn from you? Yes. So uh, if you guys are interested in contacting and working at Life Recovery, working with Life Recovery or coming to seek services, you can look us up at Life Recovery Centers, that's plural, dot net. Um, and at Life Recovery Centers, you can uh, call and set up an intake appointment. Um, any of my clinicians, they're all trained under me. Uh, we have nine clinicians that are trained in EMDR. They all use uh, depth, uh, psychological depth approaches to uh, mental health and to substance use. We do everything from court-mandated DUI to um, uh, individual trauma-informed care, whether it be dialectic behavior, cognitive behavior, EMDR, depth. We have uh, trauma groups, recovery groups for men and women. Uh, gender specific, um, the men's and women's alchemy group. So whatever you feel the need, whether it be an adult or juvenile, we'll be able to work with you. And our um, and obviously um, at liferecoverycenters.net, um, we will be able to connect you once we do our intake, we connect you with the appropriate clinician that we feel would probably benefit working with you and you working with them. Okay, great. Yeah, and we'll definitely have that in the show notes too. So people can even just like click on the link and go directly um to your website. So yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and what your practice is all about and your approach. Hopefully everyone learned something today. Yes. And thank you so much for having me here as well. I appreciate it. <laughs>